Hello, this is Dr. Gary Miller, president of the University of Akron. We are honored to have you listen to our podcast series, Diverse Engineering, Women Engineers Through the Decades, which would not be possible without the generous support of our gold sponsors, Bridgestone Americas, Continental Contatech, and the GPD Group. Together with our community partners, we at the University of Akron are committed to the success of students from around the world and in our own backyard. We are especially proud of the contributions and successes that have resulted from the hard work, determination, and dedication of our women engineering students. Please enjoy our podcast. Welcome to Diverse Engineering, a podcast celebrating the contributions, stories, and voices of those who have been historically excluded and thus underrepresented in the fields of engineering. My name is Ebony Bond, and I am a 2018 mechanical engineering graduate of the notable University of Akron, and I will be your host for this podcast. This season is in honor of women in engineering through the last five decades. You can expect to hear about the foundation that each woman's career was built on, their experience as a woman in engineering, and about their current lives and hopes for the future. This episode titled A New Tide to Raise All Ships features Siobhan Anderson, Nicole Lee, and Taylor Legrier. Here's what you should know about our guests. Siobhan Anderson attended the University of Akron, where she earned her degree in biomedical engineering and a sales certificate in healthcare selling in 2017. After graduation, she moved to Massachusetts to start her career in the medical device industry. A few passions she's discovered after college were becoming a lifestyle model and learning about options trading. She currently lives in North Carolina and works for Ethicon as an account executive. In her free time, she likes to travel, spend time with friends, explore rally, and enjoy the outdoors. Our next guest, Nicole Lee, graduated from the University of Akron in 2017 with a bachelor's in electrical engineering. She currently works as a distribution engineer for Salt River Project, which is a power utility in Arizona. Her primary focus is on new technology such as electric vehicles and the grid impacts from them. Her work consists of system analysis and research and development projects to gain a better understanding of the behavior of electric vehicles. Outside of work, she has a nonprofit organization and is a real estate investor. Our next guest, Taylor Legrier, is the co-founder of Black Sun Coffee. Taylor graduated from here at the University of Akron with her bachelor's degree in electrical engineering in the spring of 2018. She has worked in her field at AEC in Columbus, Ohio, and co-founded Black Sun Coffee in the fall of 2020. Currently, she's planning to enroll in grad school to obtain her MBA with a concentration in software and technology. We look forward to sharing these ladies' stories and journeys as entrepreneurs and young Black women professionals in engineering. I definitely want to thank Siobhan, Nicole, and Taylor for taking the time to represent the 2010s decade with me here today. So I'm Taylor LeGrier. Um, My major was electrical engineering. And I'm currently just a cashier at Kroger, but I'm actually gearing up to make a big move to start grad school. So I'm Nicole Lee. I got my degree in electrical engineering as well. And I am currently an engineer at Salt River Project in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a power and water company or utility out here. And then I also do a little in real estate investing and I'm a licensed real estate agent in Arizona as well. 
I'm Siobhan Anderson. My degree is in biomedical engineering and I'm in the healthcare space. I'm kind of curious how you all first learned about engineering. When I went to high school, I went to East Community Learning Center in Akron, Ohio, and they had a four-year vocational for electrical engineering. So I was decent at math and science in middle school. So when I learned about the vocational options that they had, I was like, I'm going to try this. It sounds interesting. So I took that class all four years of high school, and that's how I learned about engineering. I went to Litchfield in Firestone in Akron, and I actually got into the engineering vocational in the eighth grade. They had something at Litchfield that was available, and that allowed me to branch into that same four-year vocational in high school. So between those five years of being in that program is what exposed me to what engineering was. I got exposed in middle school. I used to do those engineering camps when we were at Akron. So I had known I wanted to be an engineer since middle school, always loved math and science, but I didn't make a decision on biomedical actually until going to those camps and being like, okay, I went to a mechanical engineering camp and I was like, eh, not really for me. And by the time I got to college, I knew I liked the body, so it kind of led me to biomedical engineering. Okay, so you knew you liked the body. What inspired you two to go into electrical? Was it the vocational or something specifically about electrical or... Yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> the love for math and the love for the calculations. And then we did a lot of hands-on things, projects and soldering and all that. So I always thought that was cool. Same thing. It was the math. I've always been a huge fan of math because it just makes sense to me. And the hands-on creating circuits and connecting things and it makes this look like this and this lights up. So it was the hands-on for me as well. So like when you were about gearing up to graduate, what were your thoughts about like how your future might shape up? And has it been a little bit of what you imagine? Not at all. I feel like I focused so much on graduating that like after graduation was sort of a, I just know I'm going to get a good job, right? I did all this work. I put in all this mm-hmm. time, cried all these tears, like I'm going to get a good job. They're going to pay me well. So I knew that the one thing that I had a vision for, I guess I would say, was moving out of Ohio. I took a job offer in Arizona. So I graduated in May of 17 and I moved in June of 17. I've been gone ever since. So that was the one thing that I knew my picture would include was me being in another state. So that's kind of where I put my focus in and wherever I landed in the industry sort of just had to fit around me being somewhere else. I would say the same thing. I focused so much on passing and graduating that I didn't really think about the specifics of post-graduation. I was just really focused on like, let me get out of these classes, let me get the degree and then I'll find a job, a job will come and then... It did. It worked out. Like I ended up getting a job and I knew I wanted to leave the Akron area, but I wasn't ready to get out of the state yet. So that's how I ended up in Columbus. I think I was just excited to just be kind of in my own space. Like I was in the dorm for the first couple of years and I went home for the last two and I was like my own apartment. Like, let's see what this is about. And I was just, I was so focused on hobbies, which is kind of crazy. I already knew I was going to be moving to Massachusetts. I mean, same with Nicole, like we graduated in May, I moved in June as well. I was up and out to a state I had never been to before, didn't know anyone in the entire state. So I think I was just more excited for that sense of independence and freedom and like, wow, so you mean when I'm off work, I'm just off? Like, I don't have to study, like I don't have anything to be focused on as far as like tests and it's just really my time and that's mm-hmm. it. Like, so I was just really hyped for that part. Yeah, I think when I graduated was kind of similar I didn't have any it was just like oh wait I don't do that anymore I don't go to school anymore it was just kind of really weird for me like oh that's over it's Um, almost a a shock like a cultural shock I feel like I dealt 
a time I feel like where I was always looking forward to graduation and looking forward to knowing what I had to do next semester and after this class is over. And then once you graduate, it's like, okay, now what? What's the mm-hmm. next thing that I'm working towards? And I definitely had to go through that transition to sort of find my purpose post-graduation. Do you guys have any advice for young Black women attending a predominantly white institution? I would say be prepared to be possibly the only Black girl in your class. It's okay. Don't let that intimidate you. Just be prepared. You're going to have to deal with it for a couple of years. And then you might have to deal with it after when you get into the workforce. Yeah. Actually, you will. (laughs) (laughs) I think my advice would be to be yourself and be proud of who you are. I mean, you can't change it. And if you are going into engineering, then you will be the minority and be that minority proudly. I mean, you wear it and it's something that you shouldn't try to dim your light or something that you should be afraid of, but sort of be yourself and don't feel like you have to compete to be something else or to to sit at the table, you can create your own space and be your own person and be just as great. Mm -hmm. I feel like my advice would be to find your safe space and whatever that is for you. I think coming into Akron, I knew for me personally, I was like, I need to find people that look like me, that are like like like-minded individuals. So that's what pushed me so far into Nancy because I was like, okay, I know I'm not like, I don't see you guys at night, I might not see you in class, but at least in my free time, it can kind of help be like a reset. Like, okay, I'm not tripping. Like, this happened in class. Like, whatever it was, I knew Nesby and ideas was my safe space. I think that's really important when you're going into a new environment, especially when people don't look like you. I mean, your safe space could be the dance studio or the art studio, whatever it is. I say find it so that can help keep you grounded when you're dealing with looking different or feeling different than everyone else. I think I didn't realize how much of ideas was a safe space until I graduated. I'm kind of curious, like, what has it been like? You know, you feel like you might be the only black one, but what has it been like working with other women? I will say this, that I work with other women. However, other women aren't always engineers. So for me, I think meeting other women that are engineers, it's always nice, of course. They can relate to you in some aspect and they know it's not that many women in engineering. So it is always nice to have some sort of connection when you can relate to another woman working in the space that is predominantly male. Mm -hmm. But like I said, sometimes it's not always the case. It may not be an engineer. It just could be another woman that works in the same department or space that you work in. I would say I have two sets of coworkers. I have people that are on my team and then I have hospital staff and I'm around the hospital staff on a daily basis so in that sense I'm around women all the time because nurses and my accounts are predominantly female so there's that aspect but as far as the sales industry they're still dealing with not being a boys club so that has been an interesting dynamic as well seeing like oh okay now there's more women okay now let's get more women of color like coming to Ethicon I was like oh our president is black like this is exciting (laughs) and her name is Nefertiti I was like oh yes it's nice to see people that look like me in higher up spaces because middle management and people at my level might not look like me at all they could be white male I mean outside of this team my old team everyone was white and it was just me and down here there's one other black female and everyone else is white has there been anything that has surprised you most about you know the dynamics of being a woman being a black person being a black woman in these spaces surprising no unfortunately it's so common that 
you get used to it. And I mean, of course, you strive to encourage others. Like you said, you want to be a representation of that other people can do it. But of course, that takes time. So all you can do is be your best you and make sure that you stand your ground and you make sure that you get what you deserve when you are in that space. I'm mostly not surprised, but there are some moments where I'm like, ah, I'm around the hospital staff a lot. And some of the things they say, I'm like, ah. And it would be nice if there was like another person of color to kind of call them out as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's most surprising is just some of the things that just come off so casually. And I'm like, y'all see me? Like, but overall, yeah, as Nicole was saying, you kind of get used to it. Yeah, especially from like my classroom experience being the only black girl. You know, it might be, you know, a sensitive question, but if there's truth that you want to speak to, but what has been like the most significant sexism or racism or discrimination that you feel like you faced? For me, it's not really a huge situation or anything like that, but I do distinctively remember this one time we were in a staff meeting. And of course, I'm the only black girl. It was all white men. Our manager, he was like giving everyone tasks. And then he looked at me. Mind you, this was like my first couple of months at the company. So maybe this is the reason why he spoke to me this way, but he kind of made it seem like he was dumbing the information down as if you know that that light voice that you use when you talk to a baby he was doing that and i'm just like okay i understand i got you and i'm just like why are you doing that and it was weird because he didn't use that tone of voice with anyone else in the room so i don't know if it's because i'm black because i'm a black female because i'm new it was just weird but like i understand like if i'm new and you want to be a little more sensitive to that, okay, but still talking like I'm a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. That's annoying. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest part, too, because you don't really know what, you can't say really what someone's intentions are. You can say what the impact, you know, to yeah. you is, but how did you adapt or, like, kind of cope with, was that the only time that something like that happened? That honestly wasn't the only time. I kind of just ignored it after a while and just kept my head down and worked, and then I ended up getting moved to a different team, so... It was fine after that, like management on the new team, they were a lot better at how they talked, but it was weird. I had to ignore it. Mm -hmm. I had to like really look past it and Mm -hmm. just keep my head down and work. Mm -hmm. It's been numerous times where either in a meeting or in a conversation and you're just not looked at as expected to have the answer, you know, like, or Mm -hmm. you may even be overlooked on like an introduction or like a a greeting or something like that. And I, I feel like they probably, part of it may come with youth. You said you never know someone's intention on whether they're doing it because you're young, whether it's because you're a female, whether it's because you're black or what the intention is. But just being overlooked and OK, you don't probably don't have a response to this. So we're going to go ahead and move on. Things like that. It happens and it continues to happen. And I just sort of address it by either making sure that I insert myself into the conversation to make sure that I'm seen and heard, especially when I'm on the same level as everyone else at the table. So I would say my three most extreme times. One, my first two weeks on the job, I had to do with blackface because there was a like group text amongst all the new hires. And we were talking about Halloween, like what are we going to be for Halloween? Things like that. And one girl sent a picture to all of us of all of her friends and her in blackface. And nothing was really done about it. Like someone went to HR about it. They talked to her. They talked to me. She got a slap on the wrist. Years later, she's on a management track. Like she still works for the company. So that was one. Another one at that same company was there were a ton of microaggressions and like they were being documented of 
you look really unapproachable and you look really mean and you look angry. And like, while people are talking, you just have this face that you're making that seems like you just don't want people to approach you. And it was kind of weird because I'm like, if we're in a lecture and you look around, you don't see people just smiling while they're taking notes. I'm just listening and taking notes. Mm -hmm. So that was feedback I was also given. I had to explain that that was a microaggression when I was talking to the CEO of the company to be like, hey, this is what your middle management is saying to people. And these are things that are showing up in my HR file. And then the third thing was being told that racism is never going to go away and I have to deal with it. That was another one where I was like, man, okay. <laughs> um, and I hadn't even met this teammate yet. It was someone new. And it happened last year, actually, when we were all talking about just the George Floyd thing and everything. And that was his comment. It was weird because no one said anything. Like, my boss didn't call it out. Really, they just kind of let him talk. And then he moved on. And so I think those instances, I was not prepared for. I mean, I think it's crazy because you go to PWI, but you aren't prepared to deal with the corporate that comes with it. And mm -hmm. you would think we'd be more prepared because we're out of PWI, but it's just like, I don't think I was fully prepared for that transition on, hey, we're hiring you because you're diverse, but you can't be too diverse. Or you are fitting this niche, but don't do too much. Or we're going to call you out for it. Like that was a very different experience for me that I think made my entire first year out of college like kind of a whirlwind. It was definitely a lot of emotions up and down, feeling unsure of myself professionally because I'm doubting what I can bring to the table and things like that that I just don't feel I was ready for coming out of college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when I say like I was surprised, like I wasn't prepared, I think that's what it was for me. I think the university is a unique setting because you're in this world, you know, full of people who are there to like encourage you and support you and to help you for the most part. And there's such a diversity and mix of people. And then, yeah, in the real world, and it was like, whoa, thank you for sharing your stories and, and experiences, because I feel like oftentimes a lot of people don't talk about it. So I know, obviously, continuing education is important for all of you, just in like whatever you're doing, trying to learn and grow and, and get better. Have any of you thought about going back to grad school and what for? Yeah, I am going to grad school. I'm going to go to George Washington University and I'm going to get my MBA it's going to have like a technical focus. So the first year is just all the business classes. And then the second year, I'm going to take like software engineering electives. Oh, so. wow. Congratulations. So Haven't much. you been like teaching yourself programming since you got out of school? Yeah, I have. So in college, I hated it. And then like post-college, I'm like, this is kind of interesting. I just had to find other languages other than what I learned in school. So when I started self-teaching, I learned there's other things out there that you can do and you can make and learn. So I was just learning that. So I figured going the MBA route, I don't have to fully focus on that. I can learn some other stuff as far as business and all that administration and then put the electives on the end and just kind of polish those skills mm -hmm. as I go on. Mm -hmm. Were there any particular things that influenced your decision to go back to school? Yes, I would say that the biggest um, determining factor in going back for my MBA was my subpar undergraduate GPA because it mm -hmm. wasn't the best. I mean, I got the degree, mm -hmm. okay? I graduated, but I feel like I could do a lot better, especially with 
the business route, learning that. I think that would really help me as far as anything that I want to do with the business that I currently have, any more business ventures that I want to do. And just, you know, set myself up for bigger success in the future. That was the biggest determining factor for me. I have considered getting an MBA. One being because I want to go the leadership route. I'm choosing to do that instead of going more of the technical. Because, you know, of course, as an engineer, you can always get your PE, your professional engineering and all those Mm -hmm. things. Um, But instead of going that route, I do want to go the leadership or management route. So I felt like getting an MBA would help that, like you said, Taylor. But I always had the assumption that I had to come in with the 3.0. I didn't have that coming out of college. I got my degree and I'm proud of it, but I didn't have a 3.0. So that has kind of been one hurdle that I feel like has sort of stopped me. And I guess I'm just uneducated in that aspect because um, I didn't know that you could. What has you all's experience been with like getting mentorship or coaching or finding those sponsors? And how did you how you go about finding those people? I'll say I got lucky with mine, honestly. My first year out of college was really, really rough. In hindsight, I wouldn't change a thing about that year because I knew what bad management looked like. And my boss that I had after that, amazing. I mean, he is a life coach, professional. I can go to him with any and everything. He'll be 100% honest. I think I was blessed to have that kind of the same way. I think I was blessed with Dr. Julie because I, whew, that woman, man, she really changed college for me. I think she was very instrumental in just being an advocate for me and reminding me like, okay, so I need to realize this is something you can do. I know you might not feel like <laughs> it, but you can. She, she always made me feel empowered to be amazing. But as far as trying to find one, I'm not sure how you would go about it other than just being where your passion is and hoping you find like-minded people that are just steps ahead of you that can show you the way. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because I don't even know how I met Dr. Julie. But I know it was before college. She was kind of like my campus mom. Like I would walk in her office like, hey, mom. And she'd be like, hey, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So she was this, like, like Siobhan was saying, like she really pushed me and let me know, like kept reminding me, even when I struggled, like she was like there for me and let me know that I could really do this. I got the degree and I think it's because of her. Mm -hmm. I would say, so I was kind of taught when I was in college that if you see someone who is doing what you want to do, regardless of what they look like per se, just being able to to reach out and say, hey, like I aspire Mm -hmm. to be in the position that you're in or I want to go in the direction that you're going. Can you, you know what I mean? Are Are you open to being a mentor or being that person that I can talk to about what I need to do to make that happen? And um, hopefully, like I said, they could say yes, they could say no, but hopefully you find good people that have genuine interest. I always shout out the person that I feel like is the reason I got my engineering degree is Adam mm-hmm. and STEM. I feel like I would dedicate my entire <laughs> college degree. I mean, and it, it isn't even that we were extremely close and we talked every day, mm-hmm. but uh, he was just a very pivotal person when I was entering school um, that helped me realize my worth, what I wanted to do, what I needed to do to make things happen. And it stuck with me. So yeah, finding those people that have an impact on you and, you know, we still talk to this day and we connect and everything. So it's good to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have cried many tears in front of both of them. So <laughs> I think having <laughs> someone who like sees something in you and can pull it out of you and keep encouraging you is so important. Like just throw yourself in front of those people, even if you're crying every time you see them.
In a moment, we will continue our conversation with Siobhan Anderson, Nicole Dent, and Taylor Legrere. But first, I want to thank you for listening to this Diverse Engineering podcast series. My name is Karen Morgan, and I'm able to attend the University of Akron because of the Women in Engineering scholarships that I have received. These scholarships, which are offered through the College of Engineering and Polymer Science, make a huge impact in my academic success by reducing my financial need. If you would like to make a difference in another female engineering student's academic career, please text WIE to 71777 or give online at uakron.edu forward slash giving forward slash WIE. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit. I know all of you kind of do something entrepreneurial. What is it that you do and how did you end up getting into that? I actually own a coffee business. I co-own it with my little cousin, Black Sun Coffee. Look us up. The A is a D. Um, We just both really love coffee. And we used to joke around and say, man, it would just be so cool if we owned like a coffee shop. Like we just love coffee shop environment. We love coffee. And then we started like really looking into it, finding distributors and whatnot. And we were like, we should really do this. And then we did it. And we met so many people like partnerships and networking and all that, that our coffee is actually like taking off in the Akron Mm -hmm. area, of course, Mm -hmm. which is great. Like people are actually buying our coffee. Oh my God. And liking it and buying it again. (laughs) So I have my hands in a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. I feel like. Um, and it's just a part of me finding my purpose and passion and, and really leaving a legacy behind is really my goal and, and what I strive to do. So I'll start, I have a nonprofit organization, Legacy Foundation, and we provide scholarships to high school students pursuing secondary education. And as this entire conversation has been about being able to give back and promote secondary education, helping those people that look like us that may not feel like they have the support that they need. Founded four years ago, been giving out two scholarships every year. COVID kind of put a sample on things last year, um, but we plan to pick up this year right where we left off. I also am big into real estate investing. I own some properties. I'm a landlord, some properties in Ohio that I started, got my first property in 2016. Me and my mom went in on the property and just really big on ownership. That's before you even graduated college. It was, it was, it was. It was a great opportunity. It was a property for $15,000 that was on the same street that my grandfather's home is on. And we found the deal. My mom actually found it and we took the opportunity and went in. Like I said, I was saving my coins because I was going to school in Akron. So I, I didn't have to spend a lot on college. So I was able to save all my money for my co-ops and all of those things. So a landlord, I'm always promoting home ownership, anything around being able to um, increase that generational wealth and generational ownership in Black families. And then I'm also a licensed real estate agent here in Phoenix. So once again, real estate is something that I'm really interested and invested in. So being able to help people purchase homes out here has been a blessing. The smile on people's faces when they get those keys, sign those papers. I just love it. And then one last thing, I just started an Airbnb out here in Phoenix as well. So if you visit in the area, doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, you are. <laughs> For me, I think I just discovered I was really into the stock market earlier this year, really in December. I was on Clubhouse and stumbled into this one girl's room who was just like, I don't think there's enough black women in the stock market. I'm going to teach you how I do it. Like made six figures in six months if I did it, but like start from the fundamentals. And I was just like so intrigued. I was like, this is insane. And just learning about stocks, I got my mom into it. And I was just taking classes all the time. 
and now I do options trading. So that's kind of been a passion of mine that admittedly I do need to spend more time on. I would say that didn't pique my interest in college. I was not thinking about that at all. It really took me just happening to be in the right place at the right time in that clubhouse room being like, oh, options trading, like, oh, so this is how you make the money. This is where this is coming from. It's just been something that I feel like a continuous student and I truly enjoy learning about it. How do you think, if at all, engineering or engineering school relates to, you know, entrepreneurship? I'll be honest, for me, engineering has been the funding for my entrepreneur endeavors. Um, and that may not be the case for everyone because I do believe like how Taylor's getting into coding and software. Like I know people like from like social media, like and people who invest in themselves and get into software, like and you find a niche in within engineering that you can take off and it's your passion and you can still become an entrepreneur behind that by like maybe creating an app or creating something like that, it can definitely happen. For me though, I definitely think that it's more so it's been my foundation that has allowed me to have the stability to be able to step out and do other things. So I've been able to, this income that I'm getting because I am an engineer has allowed me to fund other projects, but then also the logical thinking, I'm able to kind of run through numbers. I'm able to analyze things and look at things from a technical standpoint of process of from A to B, how do you connect the dots? Mm -hmm. I think that that still has that sort of engineering mindset of making things work and how two and two makes four. I know I'm not in a technical space, but I think learning everything we have to sell, I mean, we have to have a knowledge of whatever space in the body we're working in, plus whatever medical device it is at a moment's notice because we're in surgery and it's Mm -hmm. real time. I think Having that understanding, like as much as I hated my circuits class, oh my (laughs) gosh, I hated it so much. It actually paid off because one of the classes we had to take was basically electrical engineering, but in the body. And now one of our devices that we work with, I mean, it's an energy device. So I'm like, oh, I actually understand like the math behind this. Like, ooh, it was just easier for me to pick up on it. Even I would have never expected that engineering would kind of be in my face in this way, but... Mm -hmm. It's definitely helped me grasp things a little bit differently. And then some of my surgeons are engineers. So I think that also helps a lot where I understand their thinking. I can mm. communicate something in a different way because I have a different mindset. A lot of your surgeons are engineers. That's interesting. What about you, Taylor? Anything translate over? I think for me, I guess like the simplest way to put it, it just gave me the ability to think outside of the box and problem solve creatively. Mm-hmm. so that I can really make something out of nothing. For you specifically, Nicole, you are now a mother of a one-year-old, right? I am, I am. Yeah, so what what skills have you gained through motherhood that you feel like have helped you professionally? I would probably say patience is one, one of the biggest things. But, you know, you can't talk to a child. Well, you can talk to a child, but, like, they don't understand everything as, like, someone else may. So I think being able to convey and communicate effectively in different situations. Mm -hmm. Communication is big, right? So being able to talk to somebody and get them to understand your perspective. So being able to communicate to a one-year-old, you have to do that differently than you would to, to someone else. So you can use that same idea in different spaces and work. People in different positions, people in different departments, in just different areas, you may have to relay information differently. So I think those would be the two biggest things. Have patience and communicate in different ways. That's a good point. I think a lot of people in leadership 
They look for leaders who can effectively communicate. I'm wondering for you all, what does Black Girl Magic look like or like what does it mean to you? For me, (laughs) Black Girl Magic is waking up in the morning and like looking in the mirror and knowing that you have whatever it is that whatever talent that you're facing, knowing that you can handle it because you are enough, whether it's you're smart enough or you're hardworking enough, you know, you, you have all of the, the abilities that you need to do it. So you're just going to go out with all confidence in the world and you're going to slay whatever it is <laughs> that you have to slay for the day. <laughs> I would definitely agree. And I would add on to that. Black Girl Magic to me is even when you don't know that you can do it, you still do it. You make it happen. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, when you land down, you like, I did that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just being able to know, like, no matter what you may face, what adversity may come your way that, like Taylor said, you're capable of it. Even when you don't feel like it, you still, we make it happen and, and we look good doing it. I would say both of the points that they made and just truly excelling at, at what you do and enjoying the process. I would almost say your Blackness is not a roadblock, but rather an empowerment tool for whatever you're doing. What do you, what yeah. do you mean by that? So like, we all have dealt with things with being Black in America. And that could be where the story ends for a lot of people. Oh, because uh, I'm Black, I find you. Because I'm a female, I find you. But it's rather... I did X, Y, and Z, and oh, yeah, I'm Black and a female. Like, it's more like I did that, and oh, on top of it, I got this going for me. Like, I feel like that is what it feels like to me. I just feel like if I'm just really out here doing my thing, and it's like, oh, and guess what? Like, (laughs) a little Black girl can look up to me, and I look just like her. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that is what is empowering, and I would see it as Black romantic. How important is giving back? to you all and what does that mean and look like for you? I think it's extremely important because I went through a lot of different summer camps and organizations, community groups growing up. And I think those groups are what put me, you know, on the right path. I was in EPS in middle and high school and that really gave me that education about college and what I want to pursue, where I want to go, just learning about different colleges. And we even got to do like campus trips and whatnot. We went to DC. We didn't go to George Washington, but I would have never known about those growing up if I wasn't in those types of groups growing up. Mm-hmm. You said ETC? ECS, um, Educational Talent Search. Okay, okay. Giving back to me is extremely important. One of the reasons why I started my nonprofit was just to be able to be that extra help or that extra support that someone may need. I know going through college, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, an extra $100 can help you buy that book that you need for class. It can help you eat for the week or whatever the case is. But being able to have some support, I think is important. And I think it's important for people to understand that you can give back wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to wait until you're wealthy. You don't have to wait until you're in a space that you feel like is the next level, but being able to say, okay, I am where I am. Let me at least give back now to help people get to where I am. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I may not be where I want to be, but I can start to give back now to have that impact because people are watching you and people will pay attention as long as you do good and, and you give back. So. so echo what they said. I think giving back is extremely important. I think it doesn't have to be when you are wealthy. I think when I was in college or something I've always known is I just love working with like middle and high schoolers as far as like tutoring and everything. And I love 
them getting to a space where like if we're dealing with math and they're like failing a class i love letting them know like hey the only way i can help you is if you truly let your guard down and be willing to learn with me like if i know it you're gonna know it i as opposed to being like i'm gonna tell you how to do it i'm gonna walk you through it and i feel like that's super important to developing people and just really giving back i mean now i'm in a better space i would say i'm not you know making eight dollars an hour 10 hours a week in college like i was like i am in a better space to be able to help monetarily but also i mean working with kids is still a passion of mine so that is something i want to do i mean i'm helping create a class for eighth grade boys right now that's a stem class like that's something i'm just like oh oh wow this is what i love i think it's best if you're giving back involves a passion because they never get tired of it and that's just right what i love doing so this question is kind of tied to it, but I'm kind of curious, like, what is your desired impact or reputation when all is said and done? I think I just want to leave a legacy of being able to have a positive impact on people, knowing that I, I gave what I could and then also I left something behind. So not that I'm, I'm leaving and then that's the end. But I was able to produce, like I said, that generational wealth, being able to leave something behind. So that way um, I'm helping people after me start hopefully a step above where I had to start. I think I just want to be an example to like young black students, whether it's young black girls or black girls and boys to let them know that they can do whatever it is that they put their mind to. Because I think that's important. Like we were talking about how representation is very important and we don't want kids growing up thinking that they're limited or that they can't do what it is that they dream of. So that's really important to me. I feel like on a professional level, I want my impact to be, wow, she really did that. Like I really want them to kind of have that, like that feeling after like when I move to a different position or whatever it is, I want someone to go back and start asking about me like, oh no, she really killed it in this role. And she was also whatever you need her for, you can call her. Like, that's what I want. My impact, we are always trying to learn, always trying to improve. Like that's what I want my professional impact to be at every level. On a personal level, I just want it to be, wow, they always made me feel good. Like no matter what it was, they were someone I could come to and I never felt judged for anything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I just, I want to make people feel great mm-hmm. about themselves and just their experiences and not feel like they have to hide anything or that they have to not be themselves in front of me. For my yeah. final question, what can we find you guys creating for fun or in your free time? I love to dance. I just love dancing. <laughs> I'm not a pro by any means. Uh, no, but I, you're not a fun. pro, but you made I, it to I, Janet I Jackson's uh, Instagram. Okay, Janet knows I exist. Oh my god, like Janet, she knows I'm living. Janet Jackson, <laughs> Janet Jackson, Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, sir. Yeah, so me and Trey did scream, and she saw it and put it on her story. I cried. I cried. Oh, wow. But anyway. But yeah, so I just want to do more dance-related things. I want to put more dance content out there. And, you know, everybody knows, because we're working on something. Mm-hmm. Get ready, y'all. But yeah, I just really want to dance and maybe eventually, like, teach classes, you know, just volunteer for different studios. Like, that would be amazing. I just want to teach dance, teach kids how to dance. <laughs> That's what's up. I feel like, I, you know, TikTok is entertaining to me. And... Every couple of months, I may try and learn a dance or two. I may try and learn a, a little hip-hop, you know, a little little jig, as they call it, and such. So 
That's how you might be creating some some dance moves or some some beautiful portraits, some photos. Oh, I definitely model. Okay, I forgot <laughs> all about that. <laughs> so after uh, after college, I moved to Massachusetts, and when I moved back to Ohio, I actually got signed by an agency. So. Like That's officially a model, but then I moved again, so now I need to I need to find a new agency. I need to get back in the studio. COVID really threw a wrench in those plans. Now that things are starting to open back up, I need to build those connections again. Because in Cleveland, you know, I need photographers, I have studios. It was a lot easier to get things going. But now that I'm in an entirely new space, I kind of have to rebuild with that. So. Mm-hmm. I um definitely not a dancer. First off, I'll put that out there right now. I'm not a dancer. <laughs> No rhythm at all. I did do a little bit of modeling. I was in a Nike commercial. Um, I don't even know when. I had to be in college, obviously. But yeah, so I did a little bit. I think I so like business oriented that I'm like, need to do something for fun. I think that's your creativity. Are there any last sentiments or advice that you would like to share? I just want to say, I don't know how this came about, Ebony, creating this space and whatever you're doing I appreciate you for bringing me back and allowing me to just speak on my experience as an engineer as a black woman and everything that you're doing is just amazing it's, it's my honor <laughs> yeah. to be able to you know I just do want it. to echo that <laughs> the fact that you wanted me to be a part thank you I really do appreciate that this was a really nice experience yeah little old me I was like oh okay <laughs> Why not? I think it's nice. I don't know if I ever have like the reality check of like you're doing it. Like you know what I mean? Like I sometimes I have to remind myself like I am rare. Like I'm I'm in a space and I'm doing things that people aren't doing. And like I said, to be able to come together and have this conversation with people that I went to college with, to be able to to speak and, and talk about it, it's nice. I mean, we're in such hustle mode that we kind of forget to come up for air and be like, oh shoot. Um, I think, you know, for me, I truly like in the, in the core of just like who I am, for one, y'all, I think are so admirable. Y'all are inspiring to me and just like how y'all show up in the world. I feel like it's so authentic I and mean, that's something that, you know, I admire and I feel like it has always been a safe space and that you guys are just shining and worthy. So if I can give y'all a million platforms, I would. But definitely want to thank you all for taking the time out of your day and, you know, to share yourselves with us, with the people who are listening to the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Diverse Engineering. And thank you to Siobhan, Nicole and Taylor for their reflections and time today. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Diverse Engineering, Women Engineers Through the Decades. I want to thank Bridgestone Americas, Continental Contatech, and the GPD Group for their generous support of this podcast series. If you'd like to help ease the financial burden of our diverse students within the Women in Engineering program, please consider donating. We need the help of community sponsors and listeners like you to support our Women in Engineering program. To donate, text WIE to 71777 or give online at www.uacron.edu slash giving slash WIE. Lastly, thank you to podcast host Ebony Bond, podcast editor David Campbell, WZIP manager Chris Kepler, and the College of Engineering and Polymer Science for making this podcast a reality. This has been Dr. Gary Miller, president of the University of Akron. Remember to aim high and rise higher. Go Zips.